This Sunday, today, we're finishing up our Advent sermon series called Christmas Lights. And during this series, we've been seeing how the Christmas story is really all about the divine light of God coming into our world so that men and women can be brought to his light, the light of salvation. And so it's no wonder that on the night Jesus was born, the heavens burst forth with light and shone down on the shepherds. It's no wonder that that light of the eastern star caused those kings to journey to meet Jesus in person at his Bethlehem home. And much later, many years later, that when Jesus was an adult, Jesus' own words when he said, I am the light of the world, it just shattered the darkness, the darkness of our sinful lives. And it called us then, and it calls us now to move toward his light in faith. You know, the world that we live in is a fallen world, isn't it? It has been ever since that first bite of that apple was taken in the Garden of Eden. And when people decided to do what they thought was best instead of what God's good desires for us are. Ever since then, we've lived in a darkened world that's filled with lies, it's filled with hatred, it's filled with confusion, it's filled with sin. But you know what the good news is? That God had a plan All along, since the beginning, to completely eradicate the darkness of this fallen world and to fill it up with the light of his love. And the light of God's love, in all of its fullness, came in the form of a little baby boy named Jesus, who was born on Christmas. You see, Jesus came to eradicate the darkness. And he called his followers, that's us, to cast off the darkness and to put on his light so that others can see it. Here's the way the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 13, verses 12 and 14. He writes, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, Paul is telling us that the night or this present evil world is quickly coming to an end. And that the day or that day when Jesus comes to earth again and every single thing in heaven and in earth is put right again is near at hand. And so he encourages us to live like it by avoiding those things that and anything, really, that would have a hint of darkness in it at all. And instead, he asks us to put on Jesus, like, just like we put on our clothes in the morning when we wake up and go out for the day. We are to put on the light of Jesus Christ and emulate and imitate the actions, the words, and the deeds of our Lord. And so while others might be chasing around after physical pleasures and selfish gain, we are commanded to live in a very different way. 
one of the most famous sermons that was ever preached, maybe the most famous sermon that was ever preached, was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You can find it beginning in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5. It goes all the way through Matthew 7. And in this sermon, Jesus is teaching the crowds that have gathered to hear him. And he's teaching as one with great authority. In fact, he astounded the people that had come to listen to him that day. And so in this passage that we're about to hear this morning about light, Jesus is talking to his followers, the whole multitude of people that have gathered to hear him that day. Now hear Jesus' own words from Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In this same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, it's not very easy to tell from the English translation of this sermon that we find in our Bibles. But when Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world, he's using the second person plural. He's talking to the whole group collectively. Now, if we lived a little bit further south, than we do here in Cincinnati, we might say Jesus is saying, all y'all are the light of the world. You see, Jesus is the light of the world, and we collectively, as his followers, reflect his light. And so we are the light of the world, not a light among other lights, not some light as if there is some extra light, but we are the light of the world. And you might notice that Jesus doesn't tell us to try and be the light or to work harder at being the light. He just says, you are the light of the world. If you are following me, then you are the light of the world because we reflect his light. And you know what? When all of our individual lights come together in the church with a capital C, then Jesus' light shines so brightly. It's amazing. His light shines so that the community sees it, so the whole world sees it and takes notice. You know, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, in March of 2020, just shortly after the pandemic began, you remember that time people started losing their jobs. Some businesses were shutting down. And our church then began to give away groceries to anyone who might need them over at our Salem campus. We had people who were serving there, and they were really points of light is what they were. And they were offering groceries to any person that drove by on Salem Avenue and needed one. And people could just turn in. They'd get some groceries. And even more than groceries, these beacons of light that were serving there offered to pray for people. Whatever need they might have, they offered to pray for people. And just like a city on a hill... The light began to spread. The word began to get out. And soon other people who had enough food in their pantries began to bring food and say, here, give this to someone that needs it. I have enough. 
And other people stopped by and they just gave money. They said, I have enough. Use this to buy some food to give away to someone who doesn't have enough. One person said, we heard about the good work that this church is doing in the community. We heard about it. News spread. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? I want to tell you about another cool way that our folks over at the Salem campus have been the light of Jesus. Now, before the Salem campus reopened, Pastor Sue Lee had a vision, and she decided that she wanted to pray for every single neighbor by speaking blessings over every family in Mount Washington and some that live in surrounding parts of Anderson Township as well. And she said, this is one of the ways to express our love for the people in our community. And so we started the Pray and Go ministry. And we set the goal to pray for every home in the Mount Washington area. And so what they did on Sundays after the church service was over, the Pray and Go teams prayed and they walked through their neighborhood, saying a simple prayer like, God, bless the family that lives here. May they know the love of Jesus Christ. Give them peace. And then we'd leave a door hanger and let them know that we were there. She says, we never knocked on their doors, but when we saw people out and about working in their yards or when we met them in the street, we always asked if they needed prayer or if we could pray for them in some way. And about 90% of the time, people said yes, and they loved it. It was a great, great um, experience, got good feedback. Let me tell you a couple of specific stories. One Sunday, Suli says, we saw a woman walking down the street. And so we introduced ourselves and we asked if we could pray for her. And she paused for just a second. She said, oh my goodness. She said, I just heard some bad news. My son is in jail and I don't know what to do. So I just had to come out and start walking around the neighborhood in the cold streets. And the woman said, as she looked at them, this team, she said, is this God or not? And tears started coming down her face and She realized that she wasn't alone in this world. She knew that God knew her pain and that God had put this prayer team right in front of her just for a moment such as this. Another time, Suli says, we met a lonely woman who was out working in her garden, and she wanted to show us around her garden, and the team went. They let her show them all the beautiful flowers she had, all the things that she was cultivating. And this woman, in the midst of the pandemic, said it had been weeks since she had talked to anybody face to face. She says, we met a young woman who lost her father the day before we met her in prayer, and she asked us to pray for her family. An older couple appreciated us praying for God's peace during such a crazy time. And so by the grace of God, the Salem Pray and Go team has walked and blessed, now get this, get this, 6,000. 286 homes as of this past week. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Glory to God. That is amazing. Praise God. I mean, you can see it on the map, right? All the streets that are marked in red have been walked on. All the homes on that map have been prayed over and covered with God's love and the light of Jesus Christ. Someone asked Pastor Sue Lee, do you have lots of people coming to Salem because of this? And she said, not yet. 
but we planted a little seed. And it was like the lights of Christ shining and walking around the neighborhood by speaking the word of blessings over the families. I have no doubt that it is like soil that is being tilled and cultivated to grow an amazing crop that will produce a wonderful harvest for God to whom we can give glory. She says, one man is a musician. He walked with us. One lady just had knee surgery, and so she drove her car while her prayer partner prayed over the houses as they drove by in neighborhoods where there was no sidewalk anyway. She says any believer can be a part of the pray and go ministry. Every believer, an extrovert, an introvert, a man or a woman, it doesn't matter because all of you all are the light of Christ. You know, being the light, though, is countercultural. You know, in our culture, we put a lot of emphasis on things like leisure and luxury and money and self-improvement, material things. And so it will be increasingly countercultural for Christians to work diligently, to live simply, to give sacrificially, to help constructively, and to invest eternally. I mean, talk about countercultural in a world where everything revolves around yourself, protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself. Jesus says, crucify yourself. Put aside all self-preservation in order to live for God's glorification, no matter what that means for you in the culture around you. You see, Jesus didn't come to form an insurgent army of cultural protesters, but he did turn both culture and cultural norms on their heads in his day, and he continues to do it in our day. And so to the crowds of people gathered in the first century to hear him, the wisdom of the rabbi from Nazareth was different from everyone else. He taught with authority, but he also perplexed his listeners as he spoke words about the first being last and the prostitutes and the tax collectors going into the kingdom ahead of the religious experts. And to crowds in our century, Jesus continues to herald a radical message. Loving your neighbor is a command that runs counter to most of our cultural norms. Loving your enemy, so much more. The entire Sermon on the Mount was and still is the most counter-cultural sermon ever given. And so what does it look like? What does this counter-cultural living out of our Christian faith look like? I want to share with you a few examples that Jesus calls us to do to be the light. Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies. Now, if that doesn't sound countercultural to you, I don't know what will. In the Sermon on the Mount, 
Matthew 5, 43 to 44, Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You know, I think too often we kind of water down what it means, what an the word an enemy means, and we end up um, thinking that it means someone that like, you know, gossips behind our back or that person who's rude to us in the coffee shop or cuts us off in traffic. But you know, in Jesus' day, the Jews had real enemies. In fact, they always, always had, from the Egyptians that had kept them enslaved for 400 years to the people that already lived in the promised land when the Jews entered the promised land, to the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, and now the Roman occupiers in the land of Jesus' birth. And Jesus telling them to love and pray for their enemies was like telling Christians in Iraq today to pray for ISIS. Jesus was saying that when we think of those people, we no longer see them as enemies. As John MacArthur says, we are not to be enemies of those who may be enemies with us. From their perspective, we are enemies. But from our perspective, they are our neighbors. So how do we pray for enemies who persecute us, who would like to see us dead, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? There's a few things we can do. We can pray for their conversion, first of all. I mean, if we truly love our enemy, what more could we want for them than what God most desires for them? And that is to find the gift of salvation that is a free gift of God for them, just as it has been for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Pray for their conversion. And we should not be like Jonah, who didn't want to see his enemies, the Ninevites, turn to God and be saved. I mean, he knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. And it is precisely because God is gracious and compassionate that we ought to pray for the conversion of our enemies. Number two, we can pray that the evil that they do would be restrained. And it's not a dichotomy to pray for our enemies, to pray that the good of our enemies, to pray that their evil actions will be restrained. Because from God's perspective, it's to their benefit as well as our benefit to prevent or limit the amount of evil that's committed. And finally, third, we can pray that our enemies receive divine justice. Yes, God is gracious, but God is also just And at the end of the day, it is Jesus Christ, the Lord, who is the righteous judge, not us. So we have to leave that to him. A second way that we can live counter-culturally and be the light of Jesus in the world is by blessing people with whom we disagree. I think Christians could change the entire tenor of the world, of our culture today, if we lived out that one thing alone, don't you? I do, if we could bless people that we disagree with. You know, as I read um, the paper or, um, or watch the news, one expression that I've begun to hear over and over again in articles is the use of the word blast. 
Are you with me? It's like the president says something and a news journalist blasts him. (laughs) Or the Speaker of the House says something and another member of Congress blasts her. I don't care what the article is about. It's like someone said something, so this person blasted that person. And then that person blasted this person. And I have to wonder, what if we blessed one another instead of blasting one another. What a difference that would make. What if I blessed the person in the news with whom I disagree? What if I blessed a politician or a news personality? What if I speak blessings over the person who cuts me off in traffic, speaking blessings over them, praying for them? Because we rarely see anything from a completely 100% accurate point of view. And so before we point fingers at them, why don't we bless them? We can overcome the spirit of this world by speaking the word of light in Christ and actually being able to smile in the midst of our trouble. Another way that Jesus calls us to be a light in this dark world is by working for peace. Now, very very near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, In the section called the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so, of course, we can pray for peace. Peace in our soul, peace in the church, peace among peoples, peace among the nations. But we can also live in ways. We can also do acts of kindness that put peace into action. I read a story very recently that actually, it startled me. It surprised me at the radical act of kindness that was lived out in this story. I want to tell you about this. It was right after the collapse of the Berlin Wall in 1989. And there was no person in East Germany at that time that was more despised than the former communist dictator, Erich Honecker. He had been stripped of all of his offices. Even the Communist Party rejected him. He had been kicked out of his villa that he had lived in, and the new government refused to offer him and his wife new housing. And so the Honickers found themselves to be homeless, and they found themselves destitute. Enter Pastor Uwe Holmer. He was the director of a Christian help center in a town just north of Berlin. He was made aware of the Honecker's straits that they were living in, and Pastor Homer felt that it would be wrong to give the Honeckers a room that was meant for someone who was even needier than them. And so the pastor and his family decided to take the former dictator into their own home. Now, Eric Honecker's wife whose name was Margot, had ruled the East German educational system for 26 years under her husband's rule. And eight of Pastor Homer's children had been turned down for an opportunity at higher education because of Mrs. Honecker's policies, policies which discriminated against Christians. And so now the Homers are caring for their personal enemy 
the most hated man in Germany. I mean, it was so unnatural. It was so unconventional. It was so countercultural. Yet it was so like Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, the Homers loved their enemies, did them good, blessed them, and prayed for the ones who persecuted them. They turned the other cheek. They gave their enemies a place in their own home. They did for the Honakers what they would have wished the Honakers would have done for them years before. And you know what? The end of the story wasn't that the Honakers gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They never did. They hated the Homers the whole time. If that isn't like Christ, I don't know what is. Finally, Jesus wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. And what that means is, you know what? We cannot be the light of the world if we're not in the world, right? Now, we don't have to accept the world's values as our own. In fact, we shouldn't. But we do have to be in the world if we're ever going to hope to have an influence and be able to transform this world's values into the values of our God. You see, we are not to hide the light which we have in Christ Jesus. He said, let your light shine before others. And he explained that no one lights a, a lamp and then puts it under a bushel where it's hidden No, a lamp is meant to be placed on a lampstand where it can give light to everyone in the whole house. And so whether you're timid or bold, you're called to be a light to the people around you. And that's only possible if we interact with other people, if we cultivate relationships with other people that don't yet have the light of Jesus in their life. We're called to live differently while we connect with people in our community, while we are pointing people to the source of the light, which is Jesus Christ himself. You see, we shine a light for other people together, for those in our community and for those in our other circles of influence, especially in our homes. Jesus said in verse 15 that the light gives light to everyone in the house. And so how do we shine at home? Well, simple ways. One of those ways is by the words that we speak, as simple as that, the words we speak. And we can practice that every single day, even when no one else is watching us. Paul teaches us this in Philippians 2, verses 14 to 15. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. We shine like stars in the universe, not by complaining or arguing. We shine by the way we speak. Elsewhere, Paul writes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And Proverbs 16, 24 teaches us that kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. We shine like stars in the universe to the people who are closest to us, our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, 
Sweet words that encourage and build others up are so important. They're not always easy to accomplish, are they? I know that as well as you do, but they are so important. But along with the light of Christ inside of us, we also have the Holy Spirit alive and at work with us. And that's what allows us to accomplish the impossible. Because what's impossible for us to do on our own is more than possible with the help of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that's because Jesus wants to do amazing things through us. He said in John 14 that we will do great things because he is going to the Father, which meant that he would go and send the Holy Spirit to us. And it is with the Spirit's power that we are able to do amazing, countercultural, even supernatural things. And none of this, none of this is meant to bring attention to us, but it is to bring praise and glory and honor to God. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, our goal is never to bring recognition to ourselves. There's a fine line, isn't there, between being the light and putting on a show so that we are in the spotlight. That is a matter of the heart. And so finally, Paul teaches us these important words in Ephesians 5. He said, for once you were full of darkness, but now You have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and pure. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. You see, living as children of the light enables the light of Jesus Christ to shine brightly in the world. Like a city on a hill, shining, beckoning, welcoming others to it. It is the light of Jesus shining in you and through you. And so do other people see that in you? Will other people come to believe in Jesus because of the way you live? Because of the words you speak? Because of the countercultural way that you live according to Jesus? Let's ask the Lord to help us determine exactly what it is that pleases him. And to ask for the Holy Spirit's power to enable us to put those things into action and shine like stars in the heavens so that we can give glory to our Heavenly Father. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus, the light of the world, into this world on that very first Christmas. And we thank you, God, for his light that has shined down through the ages even until today. We thank you, God, for his words that challenge us to live in such a radically different way than the rest of the world would have us to live. But Lord, as followers of your son Jesus, who is the light of the world, we want nothing more than to reflect his light to a darkened world around us, to be like a city on a hill, to beckon people into a life-giving relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, send your Holy Spirit anew into us this day and send us forth from this place that we may be the light of the world. We praise you, we honor you, we give you glory and honor and praise now and forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.